Oh, this is for a short person, I see that. But uh, anyway, great to be here, I'll tell you what. And that just kind of reminds me of something. I was preaching in Scotland, Scotland, Connecticut. <laughs> and, uh, and in this great church, really. And I told about you giving uh, uh, Leonard Anderson three standing ovations while he's preaching. This is a very formal, staid kind of church. They're not like you, so responsive and, and uh, with it. And so there was not much, but at the end of my message, they all stood because I told that story and gave me a standing ovation. So anyway, uh, great to be here to say the least. I, I, there's no place on the face of the earth I feel more honored, really, to be invited to speak. Uh, it's really true. And, and I don't want to talk about great places that I'm able to speak, but I have been able to speak all over North America in some wonderful venues and great crowds, but this is, uh, this is the place I'd sooner be than any other place. And uh, last week I preached in a black church, and you know what that's like. But you know what I thought after I finished, and they were just fantastic, the energy was unbelievable, but since Pastor Tim has become your leader, you guys are more energetic than any black church that I know of. And so God bless you uh, for the way you are alive and respond. And part of, I think, what helps it, isn't that David McKenzie something else? Oh, something spectacular. I mean, I just can hardly believe it. But I'll tell you what, I really do think that my wife deserves a little credit there. Because when he was a preschooler <laughs> uh, and she was directing the preschool ministry, he was very reluctant to show his talent, so she had to just insist that he sing in a Christmas concert, and that was his first solo back then. So really, she deserves all the credit for uh, where he is today, but uh, just, uh, just enjoy that so much. And I just got to say, too, uh, I know that this may get old with some of you, but I, I just feel appreciative every day of life for all this church did for our family, and I think of that farewell celebration. I never heard of anything like that, never saw anything like that. It was just over the top, and we just, last March, went on that wonderful cruise that our whole family was able to go on, and of course, to see the grandchildren having such a wonderful time, it was, uh, it was great. So I, I just thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and thank you. Now, people are wondering, they, every, where I go, every day, I would say, somebody say, They'll say to me, are you enjoying retirement? You know, I never thought to ask anybody that ever before I finished here at the church. I just didn't think you could enjoy retirement, you know, I think. But anyway, I'm, I'm really working full-time hours, but I'm having the time of my life, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm enjoying it uh, to uh, the fullest. And I'll tell you this as well. It is wonderful to get in here once in a while. I've only been here four times since last Christmas. We live here, and this is where we go to church when we're able. But I'm traveling so much, I haven't been able to be here. But every time I come in this place to see the changes and to see the new people and to see what's going on, it just exhilarates me and thrills me because your pastor, your, your new pastor, I think has been more gracious and more supportive and more kind towards a former pastor than anybody that I've ever heard of. And so it just is great uh, to be able to uh, have that kind of a, a relationship 
and uh, great to be able to have this opportunity. Now, <clears throat> you've been talking about something that is very practical and really critical for every living human being because of the pressures that we all feel from time to time, and many people seem to suffer those pressures and the pain of that pressure in their entire lives. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what may be the most difficult habit, excuse me, I was going to say the most difficult habit to be broken, but it is also most likely the most difficult command to keep. Because Jesus commanded us in Matthew chapter 6 and, and verse uh, uh, 25, he said these words, Therefore, I tell you, now he's telling them something. He says, do not worry. Now that's a tough one, isn't it? That's a challenging one to be able to follow through on that kind of command. And I expect that if we could eliminate worry, from our emotions and from our heads and all the rest, our thinking, we would uh, eliminate 75% of the pressure and the pain that, that so many of us uh, may uh, feel and may unfortunately feel on a continuous basis. So if we're going to eliminate worry, probably there's no one here that can do that on their own. That's where we need the power of the living God. And that's what Jesus, if he's saying don't worry, don't you think that he would give us what we need not to worry? I mean, he's not asking to do something surely that we, it's impossible to do. And so we need to unpack this a little bit and see how that, that can really happen. You know, the key to experiencing the power of God that will enable us not to be worrying is the willingness to do the will of God. And if we're willing to do His will, He will give us the power that we need to fulfill His will. And I believe He's going to do that for some people here today that may be a turning point in your life, and you'll just be so thankful that you have been here. So there needs to be a power beyond us. I read something just this week that was kind of interesting to me. A fifth grade teacher in a Christian school, <clears throat> I don't know if Willie Brownlee is here or not, but he should be really listening carefully to this, a Christian school asked her class to look at commercials on TV and see if there was any of them that could communicate ideas about God. Well, they did. And here are some of the things that came back to her. God is like bare aspirin. He works miracles. God is like a Ford. I can't imagine being God being like a Ford. But anyway, God is like a Ford. He's got a better idea. God is like Coke. He's the real thing. We could all say amen to that, couldn't we? He is like Hallmark cards. He cares enough to send his very best. He is like Tide. He gets the stains out that others leave behind. God is like General Electric. He brings good things to life. He's like Walmart. Ever heard of Walmart? He's like Walmart. He has everything, and certainly everything we need. God is like Alka-Seltzer. Try him, you'll like him. He's like Scotch tape. 
You can't see him, but you know he's there. God is like all state. I hope there aren't other insurance companies here today, but anyway, God is like all state. You're in good hands with him. God is like dial soap. Aren't you glad you have him? Don't you wish everybody did? <laughs> God is like Chevrolet, the heart of America. God is like Maxwell House, good to the very last drop. God is like the Energizer Bunny. He keeps going and going and going. Well, <clears throat> that's kind of, that's kind of really, truly, in a very practical way, I hope it, be, it can be unpacked in such a way that everybody here in this place will see how God is like the Energizer Bunny that can meet your need and really bring change about this whole business of, of worrying. Because I know that, you know, when we hear all that we hear about France and Syria and all the plights of these people who are leaving those I mean, it's just horrendous what they must be going through and the fears and the pressure and the pain of, of all that. And we, we certainly understand that. But when we stop and think about what they're going through and how they're coping, it seems like those of us here in this part of the world shouldn't be allowing worry to eat us alive and keep us bogged down and keep us de-energized and in living in, in fear. Someone, in the, in the early meaning of that word worry, it meant to strangle or to choke. Now, that's pretty serious. So it chokes the life out of your life if we let worry take over and if we feed that ugly monster that is always crying out for us to, to feed it. Now, there's three or four things I want to say here about worry that may help you to remember a little bit more of this message. First of all, worry is unreasonable. It really is, and you'll see this in the Scripture. Worry is useless. You'll see that in the Scripture. Worry is unhealthy, and worry is unnecessary. So, why worry? So we need to find ways to break that worry habit. It's unreasonable. Look in the 26th verse. It says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. They stow away in barns, or stow away in barns, rather. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So if he's taking care of the birds, then what it's saying here, surely he will care for us. And so it's unreasonable for us to get all worked up. Well, most of us probably have been there and done that. And I have to confess, I have as well. Uh, I have, as probably most of you have, had some many sleepless nights when I didn't sleep at all, all night long because of worry. Uh, there have been times when it's, it's just is unreasonable to say the least, and it's crazy how we start worrying about something and how it just keeps mushrooming and building into something that is beyond all reason. 
I remember one time we were having an anniversary, my wife and I, in Gagetown. We were having dinner there, and our kids were going to meet us. And our daughter was going to university in Fredericton at the time, and she was going to come down from Fredericton to meet us there. And we waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and then, and then tried to call her and couldn't get her on the cell phone. And, and finally, I just got so concerned and, truth is, worried that I got in the car and headed towards Fredericton. And as I drove along, and, and, there was, and they were going to call me if she arrived uh, at the restaurant, and no sign of her. And I'll tell you what, this got so crazy, I was looking in ditches to see where her car had gone. I even was planning her funeral. I mean, I know that's stupid, but that's the way it is. You just, you let this stuff build. And what had happened, you don't know whether you know the geography or not, but she got on the wrong road, went down seven instead of the river road, and had to go way down, then come way back up from St. John, and, and that's what took her so long. And so everything was good, but I, was, I just allowed that to just take over and consume me, and how that uh, gets bigger. I remember one time here, when uh, we were going through some difficulty back in the late 70s and early 80s, and th there was a militant group that was really opposed to me, and I probably contributed to some of that because of my own insecurities and worries and fears and paranoia and all of that. And so I'm not blaming it on others necessarily, but uh, I, I tell you, I was just <laughs> worried is the word. I'm going to use, use the word concern. Sounds a little better. But, uh, and so I came up here to church. My son was just small at the time, and we came up here... Uh, in October, and, uh, and, and nobody was here. And usually at the time I would come to church, at that time, there would be a whole bunch of people already here. Well, I just panicked. I thought, you don't suppose that militant group has been able to talk everybody into a boycott? <laughs> now, that, that's crazy. I know. That's just absolutely asinine. It's stupid. But that was a state of mind, and that was because of my fears and insecurities and worries. Where I was, well, what had happened? The time had changed. <laughs> crazy, crazy. But it's unreasonable, this worry thing. It just gets bigger and takes charge. And then worry is useless. You know, when you stop and think about it, the 27th verse, it says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Is it gonna make you taller? It's going to make you shorter to worry. I mean, it seems so useless to worry about something that we cannot change. And, and, and the truth is, if it is something that we can change, then the answer to that is just do it. I mean, not to change is kind of dumb, wouldn't it be, if you can do something about it? And yet so many times, because we don't do what we could do about things that we can change, then we continue in unnecessary worry, so it is, it is useless. And uh, we just see here in the 28th verse where uh, he says, and why do you worry about clothes? You know, I just couldn't believe that when I read that. I mean, do you think the women, I say women, <clears throat> maybe, uh, <laughs> back then, to think, surely they didn't worry about clothes back then. I mean, have you ever heard somebody say, I, I don't have anything to wear? I can't remember where I heard that, um, but I heard it somewhere along the... I think I might have heard it more than once, maybe. Uh, but it's, it's amazing. And, uh, but, and we weren't born to worry, really. We, we have learned it. 
So if we have learned it, wouldn't it stand to reason that it's possible that we could unlearn it? And if Jesus said, do not worry, then there must be some kind of a plan that can help us in that whole process. Have you ever heard people say, I'm worried sick? Worry is not only unreasonable, it's useless, but it's also unhealthy. You know why people say, I'm worried sick? It's because they are worried sick. And it makes you sick. And the more you worry, the sicker you'll get, sicker mentally, sicker emotionally, sicker physically, sicker spiritually. And as you worry, there's a monster that is being developed in the subconscious. And that monster, as it gets bigger, is saying, feed me, feed me. And so you give in to the monster, and you think about all those things that cause you to be worried, and that just makes that monster more uh, powerful and having a greater impact. And, and so then that monster starts taking control, and it becomes a situation where the tail is wagging the dog because of a monster of the subconscious. And I'll tell you what, I think there's an awful lot to be said, and I'm not going to take the time to unpack it here this morning, about how powerful the subconscious can be and how powerful the patterns and the habits that are negative and counterproductive that cause us to worry how powerful those can be. And so what do we do about all of that? It is, it is unhealthy. The Scripture says in Proverbs, Chapter 12 and verse 25. An anxious heart, and that would be in the area of worry. If you, as you mentioned earlier, ang being, having anxiety and worry. An anxious heart weighs a man down. But a, ki a kind word cheers him up. Well, if you're weighed down, you're not much good to cheer other people up. But if you can... Break the back of that monster of worry. Then that puts you in a position to cheer others up and help them in their journey and help them not to have an anxious heart. The scripture says in, uh, let, me, let me say this, <laughs> instead of speaking, when, when, when we have been freed of that worry monster, then we're not living in fear. So instead of speaking words of fear, which so many people who are always worrying are doing, and, con and it's contagious, and it's having a terrible impact on other people, instead of speaking words of fear, it frees you to speak words of cheer. And that is what I think God would have for all of us in our, our journey. And then we read in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, a heart at peace gives life to the body. It does not choke. It does not strangle. It does not take the life out of life. It injects new life and power and energy to help us in this journey of life that we're called on. You know, when I think of it being unreasonable, useless, unhealthy, someone has said it's something it's like a rocking chair, all kinds of activity. You can rock as fast as you want, but it doesn't get you in your place. It, it, it doesn't change a blessed thing, but it changes you. That's the part that makes it so unfortunate and so detrimental. It is stewing without 
doing. Have you ever heard people say, I'm dog tired? You know why they're dog tired? They've been growling all day. <laughs> and that is the nature of a person who is filled with worry. Then the last thing, but now just as I said the last thing, that doesn't mean this is going to be a quick descent here. <clears throat> the last thing, worry is unnecessary. Look in verse 30, and we see the key to that, where it says in the last part of that verse, O you of little faith. You know, there must be something under the sun. If Jesus is saying, do not worry, there must be something under the sun that could help us to break the back of that monster and keep us from worry. There must be something that can turn that around. And I think the key is found in that little, those two little words, little faith. If we can have the faith that we need to have, the faith that He wants us to have, the faith that we can have, then we can do something about this worry habit. It's unnecessary. We can break the worry habit. I have to tell you, just to give you a little bit of my own journey, the first 20 years of my ministry, as much as I'm ashamed to say it, I was in a degree of bondage, sometimes a great degree, sometimes a lesser degree. And probably had it justified in my own mind as to why. I make excuses, blame others, blame situations, blame traditions, and that just caused me to lose energy and have all the more fears and all the greater worries because of playing that blame game, and that kept me in unnecessary bondage. I remember, for example, some of you have never heard me share this before, and, and in fact, I doubt that I even shared it with the church board, but uh, we, at one point, were thinking of moving out to, on the Berries Mills Road, and we bought a large, people, a large uh, piece of property out there. That didn't work out, and when that didn't work out, there was a piece of property next door. Where are we here? Is that the Salvation Army over that way? Uh, we could have bought that property for a song before they built on that property. And when it looked like we were not going to be able to move, and I realized that we could have bought that property and didn't buy it, and now the Salvation Army built on it, I was just filled with guilt and regret that just pained the life out of me. I mean, it Talk about something building and becoming a monster. And, and of course, the more I thought about it, the more it drained me and imprisoned me and pained me. And I used to walk home. We lived about a mile away from the church here. And I walked by that and see that building on there and think that we could have got that land for a song and didn't do it because this land over here where the parking is, they wanted an absolute fortune for that land. And it was really impossible for us to buy it at the time because it was going to cost so much. And, and so, as a result of knowing how cheap this was, how expensive that was, and realizing we needed the property in order to grow, in order to spend all that stuff, it just was horrendous. The, the pain that... Now listen, the more I thought about that, the worse it kept me from doing what I needed to be doing, thinking about what I needed to be thinking about, and, and uh, focusing on the creative things that could have helped us to go forward. Every minute I was spending allowing myself to be drained by the burden and the bondage of this, this thinking that was driving me crazy, I, I, it was just taking away from everything else that could be good and positive and powerful. And I remember one day walking by there, 
and it hit me. I do not have to be a product of past wrong decisions. I do not have to be a product of the wrong things that have happened in the past, whether I've caused them or other people have caused them, whether I've been victimized by them or I've victimized myself or whatever the case may be. I do not have to. I can be a product of the decisions I make. And so I am going to make a decision. I'm not going to think about that anymore. It's not, what good was it doing for me to be all bound and wound and pressured in pain by all that? Nothing I could do about it. Couldn't burn down the Salvation Army. <laughs> oh, that's one of those times I hadn't planned to say that, and now I wish I didn't, but anyway. And, and so forget about it. And so I had to decide. And I remember making a definite, clear decision. I'm not going to allow myself to think about that another minute. As an act of my will, I have got the power to make that kind of a decision. And through the grace of God, I can keep making the right decisions. And so, now, that didn't stop it. The minute I decide I'm never going to think about that again, that didn't stop that awful feeling from sweeping over me. But every time that awful feeling would sweep over me, and, I, and the, the, the monster would try to get me thinking about it, I say, no, sir, I'm not going to think about it. I replace that thought with some other thoughts and just go in another direction in my thinking. And eventually, I got, to, and it didn't take a long time making that a practice, got totally free from that worry and that burden, so that now I can think about that as a fact of history and has no emotional impact on me whatsoever. So, faith. He says, oh, you little faith. Faith seems a big factor. Let me say this to us. Faith, my friends, is the oil in the machinery of life that causes the machine to run smoothly and to be productive. But fear in the machinery of life is like putting sand in the machine and in the cogs and wears it down and slows it down and eventually ruins it and keeps it from being productive. You see why this is so critical? That we break this habit and we think about the things that are faith-filled thoughts rather than fear-filled thoughts. Do you know the Scripture says 365 times Fear not. Fear not. I, you know what I'd like to say this morning? We could be here a while. I'd like to count out 365 times and keep saying, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Because we don't have to. We don't need to. We don't need to put ourselves in that prison. You know, to keep fearing unnecessarily is kind of like practical atheism. Because we're carrying a burden that we don't need to carry. And we're not exercising the faith to get rid of the burden that we don't have to carry. I remember reading about this elderly lady had this great big knapsack on her back and was, a guy stopped to pick her up with a pickup truck and invited her for a ride and she got in and he noticed she didn't take the knapsack off and he said, well, let me stop it and you can take that knapsack off and put it in the back. He said, well, no, uh, it's burden enough for you. It's, it's enough for you to have to carry me, let alone my knapsack. 
Some of you didn't get that. I know it's no great thing to get, but, uh, but at the same time, don't you think, don't you think it's possible that we carry a lot of unnecessary burdens that we don't have to carry? We can, you know, cast your burden upon Him. Uh, the Scripture says not to worry, but to pray. We need to pray, not panic. And I'm telling you, that's where faith comes in, to believe that these things, something different can happen. When we let, when we let worry come in the front door, faith goes out the back door. But the good news is, when we let faith come in the front door, worry goes out the back door. And that is a decision. That's a decision that we can all make. Every one of us have the capacity to make that kind of decision. When we worry about the tomorrow's problems, we miss today's blessings. Now, somebody might say, well, you mean we just, we just, we don't have to be responsible. God's just going to do it all. We just give it all over to Him and let Him take care of everything and we don't have to do anything. You know what I think? I think we need to be responsible, and the more responsible we are, the less we'll have to worry. I remember my early days, I was, as I said earlier, I, I blamed everything on everybody else and the circumstances and the traditionists and uh, the town that I pastored in, all kinds of different things. Somewhere along the line, I realized, look, I need to take responsibility. The minute we blame, we just build that worry monster, making excuses and all the rest. But when we take responsibility ourselves about the situation and the circumstances to do our part in it, we can always do something about ourselves. When we blame, there's nothing we can do about it. We, we abdicate and we say, well, that's somebody else's problem. That's somebody else's fault. Then nothing I can do about that. And then we just go on in our pain and in our pressure. But when we take responsibility, then there is something that we can do about ourselves. And we can have the faith to believe that God is going to do something in that process when we take responsibility. We may not have the answer right off quick about whatever the situation is. But the wonderful thing about the Scripture, and it's the best principle in the Bible for me, where Joseph had gone through all that he went through and all the setbacks and hurts and problems, and then he said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And I'm telling you, all the things that could cause pain and problems and setbacks, if we can have an attitude of faith, God will help us to find the answer. If we are responsible, we don't have to worry. You know, I think so much of this, and I'm, I'm trying to find a place to land here. It has to do with, truly, our attitude. And an attitude of gratitude. You know, so many people are worrying all the time because they're so focused on what they don't have, even though they have a lot, that they never, they're never satisfied. And they're just worrying about what they don't have that they want that they don't have. And then there's other people who have far less, and they're so grateful and filled with gratitude about what they do have, then they get what they need as a result of that wonderful spirit and attitude. And they're free all the time in the midst of it all. Now, this is a point where you can get sick to your stomach if you want to, if you choose to, but you, you shouldn't make that choice. Because I'm going to talk about, for a minute here, probably the most precious little human being that I know. <laughs> she's, 
<laughs> Who said that? <laughs> My little granddaughter. I don't know if she's in the auditorium today or not. She's here, but not in the auditorium. And she is spoil-proof. Now, I know you just think, oh, you're, you've lost it, Pastor. You're, you've just, you're, just, you're just seeing things through a grandfather's eyes, and you're just, you just you're blind. Well, let me tell you why I say that. From the time that she was a little child, from the time she could first talk, every little thing that anybody did for her, she would say, thank you. And it was a heartfelt thank you. Thank you, Papa. Thank you. If I cough, she said, are you okay, Papa? <laughs> and just had this heart. And that's the way she is to this day. She's nine years old now. And, every, and we baptized her over here that day that we baptized 101 people. Y'all remember that? Wasn't that a great day? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and, uh, but she has this attitude of gratitude and has no entitlement mentality. You know, that you should, you did that, but you should do more. That doesn't exist. And because she's so happy with what she does have, it just makes you want to do more. And I believe that if we could have that focus, then we would have more of what we need. Now, the key to this whole thing, and I'm going to close this. I don't even know how long I have preached you. I know it's been a long time. But you don't see, I haven't preached you for a while, so I've got to make up for lost time. <laughs> but uh, in the, uh, the last part of this scripture, the 33rd verse, it says, Seek first the kingdom of his and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, you know what that says to me? That says to me to be Christ-centered. Now, when I say Christ-centered, I don't think that means much of anything to hardly anybody. I think it has to be defined a little bit. You know, there are many things that are very important to all of us in life. And whatever is most important to us, most likely that is our center. But the thing that really needs to be most important to us, if we're going to eliminate this habit of worry, is to make certain that Christ is the center. Now, to be Christ-centered, it just seems to me, is to be like Jesus in how that Jesus was always seeking to add value to other people's lives, doing what he could do that would be in their best interest without ever having any thought of what people could do to make him feel better. He was always concerned how he could help others, not how others could help him. And because he had his mind off of himself, he is, he is our example. And when we have him at the center, that will be the kind of person that we will be. We'll not be concerned about what people are thinking about us, but we'll be concerned about how we can make people feel better about themselves and be able to help them on their journey. Myra Angelou said this, we, may, we will forget what people have said, we'll forget what people have done, but we'll never forget how people made us feel. And when we can seek to be like Jesus in making others feel better about themselves, then that takes away fear and worry so that we don't feel any less than anybody. We don't feel more than anybody. It's not even a part of the factor now. I'm going to give just a little tiny illustration here. It's an airplane illustration, but this is a good place to give it right at the end where I'm coming right into land here. I realize that even though we may have broken the habit of worry, 
There are things that can be so horrendous, they can blow us off course. However, if we have made it a habit and a way of life, and we have the faith, and we decide we do not have to be a product of all the terrible things that have happened in the past, but we will be a product of our decisions, and we are Christ-centered and really know what that means, and we practice that, and it's a way of life for us, then I'm telling you, my friends, even though there may be some great hurricanes that come and blow us off course, the automatic pilot of living that way will bring us back on course and we'll be able to live with peace and strength and His power to be able to be the people He wants us to be and to reach our fullest potential for His honor and for His glory. I was impressed the last song that we sang just before I came up to preach was my one desire to be like Jesus. And when we can make that number one, uh, that's the answer. And have the faith to believe that's the answer and to make this a way of life. Let's pray together. And this morning, uh, let me just say this before I pray. I... I think that sometimes with some of us, this has been such a pattern that it may be that, or just pray where we are, and that, I'm 100% for that. I'm not for necessarily giving invitations for people to come forward all the time. I don't see that as necessary. But sometimes it just makes what you've decided and what you're determined to do and to be more tangible. It clarifies it. It makes it more deliberate, intentional, definite when you come forward to make it a matter of prayer. And, and so we're going to give that kind of an invitation here. And, it, and I'm thinking as well, there may be people in this church this morning who do not even know what it is to be freed of the past sins of life, and they need to be forgiven and need to have Christ in their hearts so they can live this kind of life for His honor and glory. And so, if you're here and you do not know Jesus, we invite you to come and be a part of those who come forward. You can come and stand at the front. You can come and kneel to pray. But if you need to break this worry habit, whatever it may be, it may be large, it may be small, but it's something that is holding you down or holding you back in some way, then I invite you as we sing here in a moment to come. Father, we think of all the dear people here this morning that have their burdens. They've had their past wrongdoing. Perhaps they've been victimized by difficult situations, financial problems, physical problems, as has been said earlier, mental problems and uh, domestic problems. Lord, we know that this 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 world is just filled with all of that kind of pressure and anxiety. And Lord, I just pray today that there might be some people that would respond and just come and not panic but pray and believe and practice and determine to practice putting you first and all that that means and having the faith to believe that they can be conquerors and and, and be able to turn from the 
excuse making that maybe has gone on and just say, Lord, I want you to be 100% in charge. I don't want to blame. I want to take responsibility. And I'm taking responsibility by coming forward this morning and asking for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Come as we sing.